0: For your will, or get cash for yourself. I think I go with the green, because that's as I do not clean. The fattest she might see, i got to get my clean. You're welcome to you. This is Hell. All right, then. We know climate change is coming or is already here, kind of like a runaway freight train, yet we seemingly do nothing to stop it, even burning more and more fossil fuels every year. That is, until a global pandemic that has killed millions... Slow down our destruction of the planet When it comes to the pandemic, we know What needs to be done, how our behavior Needs to change to make certain As few of us get the virus as possible But again, the necessary changes are never made And needless suffering and deaths Take place We know the problem of police violence But seemingly, no matter what we do Nothing seems to be able to alter the dynamics That lead to cops' cruel, unfair And brutal abuse of people of color The poor, women, and all the marginalized groups That seem to be the targets and victims of the police. It's as if the system that we live in was not designed to change or reform itself at all. We often hear about the flexibility and adaptability of capitalism often working in ways that contradict what one might call a free market. But what if those contradictions are not about capitalism's flexibility as much as it is is about a system working to defend and reinforce its status quo? What if our quest for the perfect system has led us to not recognizing its shortcomings while we steadfastly defend it, no matter how destructive it has become. For that matter, how do you change that status quo? According to today's guest, we can do that by design. In a few minutes, we'll talk to architect, writer, and the Enid Storm Dwyer Professor of Architecture at Yale University, Keller Easterling, author of Medium Design, Knowing How to Work on the World. Keller was on our show nearly six years ago to the day, back in February of 2015, to discuss her then-just-published book, Extra Statecraft, The Power of Infrastructure Space, which we named as one of our very favorite books to be mentioned on the show in 2015. Keller is the Featured, I should say Keller is the author of several books And her most recent work Prior to Extra Statecraft Was titled Subtraction Which considers building removal Or how to put the development machine Into reverse And that may be of interest To those of you Who heard our conversation last year On degrowth So you might be wanting to check out her earlier book, again, Subtraction. Keller is a 2019 United States Artist Fellow in Architecture and Design. She was also the recipient of the 2019 Blueprint Award for Critical Thinking. Her MANY project, that's M-A-N-Y in all caps, is an online platform facilitating migration through an exchange of needs. And it was exhibited at the 2018 Venice Biennale. I knew I was going to get that word wrong. Biennale. Her research and writing on the floor uh, Comprised one of the elements In Rem Koolhaas' Elements Exhibition for the 2014 Venice Biennale Find out more about Keller at her website KellerEasterling.com I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap radio show Live stream podcast host, Chuck Mertz It's Tuesday, so Today's producer must be Jess Lipka Jess, how are you doing? It's been a while A couple weeks ago, you couldn't make it here Because of a snowstorm last week I couldn't make it here because I was feeling horrible, uh, so I had to take a couple of days off. So it's good to see you. How have you been?
1: Um, <clears throat> I'm doing great. Um, yeah, it's good to be here.
0: Yeah. So was it difficult to get up here from the south side today?
1: Um, no, I mean, you know, I had to um, get my, my car out of the snow, but, but otherwise it was fine.
0: Was it the first time you've dug out since the storm?
1: Uh, I mean, I've been, you know, I've been turning it on and, and driving a little, but I mean, this is the farthest I've been,
0: yeah, since it's been really bad. My, uh, our battery for our car died on Friday night. Oh no, yeah. That <laughs> was well, not a good time to have it die. So yeah, it was very, you know, it's really weird though with me. I, I keep talking about my bad back or stomach or whatever my latest ailment is. But I have this feeling that I have not had in a long time, and I don't know what it is for certain, but I think, Jess, I think I actually might be feeling good.
1: (laughs) It's so weird. That's great.
0: I I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm not. Maybe this is like right before you die. I'm not too sure, but (laughs) I kind of feel good, which is really weird. More importantly, Jess, than my confusing relationship with my physical being, what is this week's question from hell for our listening audience?
1: This week's question from hell is, What are you awake thinking about at 3 o'clock in the damn morning?
0: (laughs) What are you awake thinking about at 3 o'clock in the damn morning? That's this week's question from hell. The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell merchandise you want. You can check out all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page. You can email it to us. You can tweet it at us. But we have to have your answer by the end of Thursday's show. When we are announcing this week's winner, Jess will be sharing some of your answers to this week's question from hell, following Keller. You are listening to God's favorite radio show, Prove Us Wrong. This is hell, and apparently this is also Rob's favorite radio show, not just God's. As the new office chair Rob kindly purchased for me arrived at my home yesterday after weeks and weeks of complaining about my bad back and probably annoying every one of you and the possibility it has been Caused by sitting in an antique Wooden office chair And my failed attempts at actually Getting to a store to purchase a new chair Listener Rob As I'm certain many of you Had apparently had enough And after making more money during the pandemic Than he has ever made in his life Rob decided to spread that weird wealth By buying me, a new chair. So thanks, Rob. I, it so, showed up yesterday. I'm hoping to assemble it sometime this weekend. And let's all hope this helps me not miss any more shows because of my stupid back. Greg emailed us at, at com, writing, Chuck, you're still asking about politicians on the show? On the show? <laughs> and I've said before, simply no. But I think I have a win-win proposition for you. Yes, politicians are blowhards, and they get all the time in the media, which This Is Hell is not. So, if we give them time on This Is Hell, then it should be done in a way that is beneficial for us. I think you just need to require them to wear a This Is Hell face mask in their respective governing chambers, at least until it makes the news. They would be required to buy the mask, of course. More good ideas. Coming later. Love, Greg. So, for those of you keeping score at home, nearly every listener who has responded to our question of whether we should adhere to our rule, which is really a a guideline, and that is nobody on the show from big money or big politics, in other words, no business people or politicians, as they, they seem to be the only ones with access to the establishment media, every one of you, every one of our listeners, except for two, have said, Absolutely no to politicians on the show And one of those two was cracking wise And not actually supportive Of the idea of having politicians on the show This all came up because there was this big push To get Seattle City Council member Shama Sawant On every podcast her supporters and organization could And it worked, Shama went all, on all sorts of Supposedly radical shows to talk about a radical revolution The radical revolution that is Electoral politics? It was a media blitz, but as Greg and all of you have reminded us, this is not the media. This is hell, so at your behest, no, we will not be having Shama Sawant or any politician on our show. And I have to say the deciding vote was Josh writing to us back in late January as someone who has both organized with Ms. Sawant and worked on her campaign. I can confidently state that she has nothing to offer your excellent show, and if she doesn't, I'm sure no other politician does. Which sounds like both an admiring endorsement of Shama Sawant's work And a withering repudiation of all electoral politics We also got an email from Calvin Who we have not heard from in a while So it was great to hear back from Calvin Calvin writes, Chuck, after weeks and weeks of trying to listen to more than four episodes per week In order to finally exist in the same today As the today on This Is Hell I'm finally close I just finished listening to your episode with Anna Clark on Flint's water crisis And I wanted to drop a quick note to Echo the listener's suggestion To have Ken Lane on the show I heard Lane on the Trill Billy Workers' Party podcast a few weeks back, and I fully agree that he would be a very interesting guest. While I've not read the book yet, it is on my get-to-this-at-some-point list, and I plan to get to it at some point. On a tangentially related note, as you asked last week, I'm definitely interested in hearing about less recently published works on your show. While I do frequently rely on the show for analyses... Of recent events or to what will be in the paper of record next week, I don't think timeliness of publication, especially for books, should necessarily be a top priority when considering potential guests, particularly those suggested by listeners. In addition to simply being exposed to ideas we may have missed over the years, I think providing guests with an opportunity to re present or reinterpret their earlier ideas in light of subsequent events. Could make for a great show for interviewee, interviewer. Just think of how much easier it will be to prepare if all you have to do is ask, do you still think X is true? And listeners alike will enjoy. As always, keep doing everything you are doing, except maybe using that old antique wooden chair, and be well. Calvin. Calvin, you are not the only one who likes the idea of having guests on who have older works that have not just been published. Daniel agrees it would be a good idea to have guests on to discuss their works that may not be brand new. And thanks to Rob, that antique wooden chair may no longer be a problem. Finally, Calvin mentions he listens to This Is How to Know What Will Be in the Paper of Record next week. In fact, today's New York Times had a front page article on something we reported here on This Is Hell back in late April and early May. And that was how the siege of the Michigan State Capitol was a dry run of what would happen if Trump lost the presidential election. If you read that article on how Michigan's Republican Party has embraced armed militias, has allowed these groups to infiltrate their ranks, and have done so for decades, you will understand why, as a former Michigander who still vacations there every year, I took the assault on the Michigan State Capitol very seriously. I know a lot of people dismissed it as just some goof. I knew it wasn't. I personally know people in Michigan who have been actively recruited by Michigan's militias. So, yes, you can tune into This Is Hell and find out what will be in next week's New York Times. But you can also tune in to find out what will be in the New York Times maybe Months, if not years in the future, like our coverage with Brian Muir on the U.S.-backed coup in Brazil that the Times didn't catch on to until after the reporting endorsed the overthrow of the elected government, and it was too late. You can send us your comments on the show, guests, or topic suggestions to chuck and we'll likely share your thoughts on air. Live from the United States, where the law is the crime, this is is hell coming up change never happens because our system was not designed to change it was only designed to serve the status quo jess will have more of your answers to this week's question from hell which is what are you awake thinking about at three o'clock in the damn morning what are you awake thinking about at 3 o'clock in the damn morning? The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell merchandise you want. You can see all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can leave your, question, your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page, tweet it to us, email it to us. But we have to have your answer by the end of Thursday's show when we announce the winner each and every week. Jess will be sharing more of your answers to this week's question from hell following our guest Another end of the world is possible. This is hell. Nothing ever seems to change. We have the same challenges year in, year out, decade in, decade out, and now century in and century out. It's as if the whole system, more than anything, is meant to not change, no matter what. So what happens when our system is about nothing but defending the status quo at all costs? And how can we change what is designed Not to change Here to Enlighten us, returning to This is Hell Architect writer and the Enid Storm Dwyer professor of Architecture at Yale Keller Easterling is author of Medium Design, Knowing How to Work On the World. Welcome back to This is Hell, Keller
2: Hi, it's good to be here.
0: Keller was on our show nearly six years ago to the day, back in February of 2015, to discuss her then-just-published book, Extra Statecraft, The Power of Infrastructure Space, which we named as one of our favorite books to be featured here on This Is Hell in 2015. You can find out more about Keller at her website, kellereasterling.com. Her book prior to Extra Statecraft is uh, titled Subtraction and it considers building removal or how to put the development machine into reverse, which may be of interest to those of you who heard our conversation on last year's show, one of our shows last year on degrowth. So you might be wanting to check out that work as well. And when you were on our show six years ago, as I was saying, we were discussing your book, Extra Statecraft, the Power of Infrastructure Space. And I want to ask you. One question about that before we get to your book. Last Wednesday, your new book. Last Wednesday, the Associated Press reported planned legislation to establish new business areas in Nevada would allow technology companies to effectively form separate local governments. Democratic Party Governor Steve Sisolak announced a plan to launch so-called innovation zones in Nevada to jumpstart the state's economy by attracting technology firms. The zones would permit companies with large areas of land to form governments carrying the same authority as counties, including the ability to impose taxes, form school districts and courts, and provide government services. The measure to further economic development with the alternative form of local government has not yet been introduced in the legislature. Democratic Governor Sisolak pitched the concept in the State of the State address on January 19th. The plan would bring in new businesses at the forefront of groundbreaking technologies without the use of tax abatements or other publicly funded incentive packages that previously helped Nevada attract companies like Tesla. The governor named Blockchains LLC as a company that had committed to developing a smart city in an area east of Reno after the legislation is passed. How concerned, Keller, should we be about the government giving the power of governance to technology companies? What effect could that have on democracy in general in the United States?
2: This is hell. Yes, um, that uh, that scenario that you almost sounds like a, a sort of cartoon scenario, uh, exaggerated cartoon scenario of. Uh, the common phenomenon that we were talking about from extra state craft, um, the creation of um, extra state zones where the domestic laws for uh, the, either the state or the entire country are, are um, exempted. Um, and there's deregulation of labor and environmental law. Um, I think it's very dangerous that this is now a kind of normal state of affairs, Um, this state of exemption from law in around the world. Of course, it makes the free zone and there's a huge installation of free zones into the engine room of of labor abuse and, and neoliberal power. And the example you mentioned is, is no exception, even though it seems almost more exaggerated, uh, unveiled or, uh, than, than some.
0: And there's this tendency for people to think that, well, there, this would be something that would be promoted by a Republican, that this would be something that would be promoted by a conservative. Is this idea of these extra states, is, does that get bipartisan support?
2: Well, I think a lot of people are not entirely aware, uh, but, but yes, it does get bipartisan support in, in trade compacts uh, that we make with the rest of the world. Um, I, I'm not sure that the, the actual mechanisms and the consequences of those mechanisms are entirely clear to many people, uh, as they are also embedded in, in physical space.
0: And you uh, write that against all, in your new book, again, the name of your new book is Medium Design Knowing How to Work on the World. We're speaking with Keller Easterling, and you can find out more about Keller at her website, kellereasterling.com. You write against all reasons, some of culture's intractable dilemmas seem to create political, social, and environmental impossibilities from unchecked concentrations of authoritarian power to organizational cross-purposes to extremes of inequality and climate cataclysms. Consider just a few of those. these as they are inscribed in spaces and territories while global warming is increasingly self-evident continues to attract naysayers. Typhoons, hurricanes, wildfires have given the world a dramatic preview of some inevitable and lethal effects as scientists report the greenhouse gas emissions are accelerating like a speeding freight train. But Governments around the world nevertheless defy global compacts attempting to alleviate the situation So we recognize that there is a problem, but we do nothing about it And not we don't apply the pressure on the government to make those uh, our real concerns And to address those problems This is you know something that has been brought up by our guests on our show as far back as I can remember back to the 1990s How does design contribute to the intractability of crises like climate change the science behind, which has not changed since the 1980s.
2: Well, I'm I'm trying to create a special relationship with the reader to sort of go along with me and think about those habits of mind that are ingrained, deeply ingrained in culture that are some of the reasons why we, we don't seem to change. Um, um, trying to think about... Um, our kind of modern enlightenment mind that's always looking for the right answer, that's looking for solutions, that's looking for quantitative proofs, that's also looking for what is new, um, looking for uh, holding on to a kind of ideational monotheism in a way. Um, and so, you know, what medium design is doing is is trying to kind of unfocus eyes and look not just at objects with shapes and outlines, problems, declarations, but look at the interplay between things, not just look at nouns, but look at verbs, if you will, look at the activity between things. So as a designer, usually we are trained to make things with shapes and outlines, but this is designing the interplay between things. And so this very contemplative book is, is wondering if one inverts that habit of mind, looking not just at objects, but looking at the interplay between objects, might you also invert some um, approaches to these intractable problems?
0: And you're right that rather than only registering information in lexical, geometric, or quantitative expressions that present a stable and reliable solution, medium design uses forms of interplay to generate a combinant chemistry of spatial elements. Interplay is an expression of interactivity within an ecology over time. What is missed when we do not recognize that interplay and only focus on the lexical, geometric, or quantitative expressions?
2: Well, I think well, there's many things that are that are missed. Um, uh, one of them also has to do with uh, how power can work, how a power like Trump can work. Um, um, uh, Trump keeps everyone uh, oscillating between the kinds of closed loops and binaries that are part of that enlightenment thinking. Um, He can tell lies that, uh, um, not just telling one lie, but telling many lies that creates a kind of slippery platform on which reasonable people seem to slip and slide. So it's trying to look um, beyond the solutionist thinking, to look at many other ways in which we can resourcefully recombine uh, things within our world, things that Uh, may even seem like cast-offs, problems. Um, Look at ways in which we um, should not always be looking for the new technology, but looking for, in, in other words, not looking for the new technology as the most sophisticated thing, but look at the way in which combinations between technologies are sophisticated. Look at the way in which spatial variables spatial interactions in heavy space, uh, lumpy, heavy space that we all live in might uh, be a way to carry our value and our relationships in interplay beyond the financial abstractions that have often been quite dangerous.
0: And I want to get to this idea of binaries and loops so people can understand these kinds of logic. You write that in the face of obvious failure, organizations assume that its solutions and guiding logics were simply... Not applied with sufficient rigor The loop was not tight enough The group was not ideologically pure enough The organization then circles the wagons And vilifies the non-conforming elephant ele, Element, not non-conforming elephant Totally different thing Whenever it fails, it's because it wasn't done enough So what? what's the fallacy within that logic? Because I have heard that countless times For instance, I've actually heard someone arguing that the privatization of healthcare in the United States doesn't work. It costs too much and makes medical needs inaccessible because the ne- government never gave free reign of the market to healthcare. So, what is the logical fallacy? Because I'm tired of hearing people make these kind of similar arguments.
2: Well, I, I, I'm i arguing or I, I'm inviting the reader to think with me a little bit about the way in which when we have this kind of solutionist frame of mind, we're looking for uh, the universal particle, the elementary particle, the one and only answer. Um, and, w- you know, we only, uh, you know, this this kind of needing to be right then lashes out with a binary fight against any non conforming element. Um, We see these in the free zones where uh, neoliberal power is made a situation where it's only circulating compatible information in a kind of closed loop. And any contradiction to that, like the needs of the worker, if those enter, then the the worker must be vilified as the other Uh, nations. Uh, also like to reinforce their oneness, their, their, their power, their exceptionalism. And anything like the immigrant or any contradiction, that must be vilified and, uh, and uh, treated as, a, as an enemy. Um, and maybe even all of us, even in our everyday lives, like to remain whole in this way, don't like a contradiction and lash out with a binary fight. Uh, we certainly see it now in 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 the United States, where there is someone who, because of the, you know, just because of the lure of needing to be right, of needing to be circling in a closed loop, can make people walk off the edge of a cliff, um, and can generate that that fierce binary division can keep people as i was saying oscillating between the closed loop of being right having the answer having the being the one and only and the kind of manichean struggle between oppositions um and of course the world is not that way <laughs> the world is filled with um many uh, components that can be combined in different ways it's filled with many different spectrums of power um uh many different influences uh, no one elementary particle but many ways of combining things um and so uh Sometimes even in our political parties, we see these purification rituals, you know, well, it was the left, but the left just wasn't left enough, you know, um, uh, and it's not a betrayal of the left, but, but an invitation to think outside these loops and binaries.
0: I just find that fascinating. And you write the modern enlightenment, just to kind of repeat what you were saying, the modern enlightenment mind is still present and still replacing God with ideological constructs cobbled together into false holes. Religions, philosophies, and political regimes mirror each other with different forms of ideational monotheism that search for the one and only, the universal, the elementary particle and the telos, the narrative arcs of cultural stories bend toward utopian or dystopian ultimates. So, does the pursuit of a perfect system then lead to the dead end of reinforcing the status quo? Because when I was reading that, all I could think of were all the discussions we've had on this show about the lack or the stifling of political imagination dating back to you know Margaret Thatcher's Tina and the idea that there is no alternative. Do we not pursue what's best for us as much as we defend The only system that we have to any opposition are we more about not trying to make the world a better place but trying to keep it the same
2: yeah i think i think the the loop is pretty strong the need to be right very strong uh the need to be part of a group that's right is is very strong and I just wanted to see, you know, what what if we sort of drop through a trap door in these logics? Um, of course, uh, it's so funny because whenever I give a talk about this or something, everyone assumes that it's at that moment where I will unleash my new manifesto. <laughs> um, but that's exactly the that would be the sad and conservative way of thinking in a way. Um, instead, I'm um, uh, trying to um, to say that um there's something that we already know how to do it's another kind of resourcefulness that isn't looking for what's new or for what's right or for what's free or for what's absolute but is looking at in a very sort of tolerant way at um information in many different registers uh not just financial not just digital but of course i'm I'm an urbanist, and so I'm trying to kind of put lumpy physical, heavy values as one way of of um, of rethinking the way we operate on the
0: world. Is there somebody at your door that you need to get to? Uh- uh, yes Yeah. Well, you take care of that now and just come back on in a second I can. Okay. We can wait You are listening to This Is Hell You can hear us every Monday through Friday At 10 a.m. Chicago time here Live at ThisIsHell.com Friday actually we're at Patreon.com Slash ThisIsHell again live at 10 a.m. And then podcast shortly after at the same place Patreon.com slash ThisIsHell But during the week as you know Live here at ThisIsHell.com And on the weekends every Saturday morning on WNUR Chicago Sound Experiment from 9 to 1 p.m., 89.3 FM, and also broadcast at WNUR.org. You can follow us on Twitter at This Is Hell Radio. You can like us on Facebook at Facebook.com/This Is Hell Radio. Keller, are you back?
2: I'm back. Uh, Sorry, excellent. That,
0: that's totally okay. But now I got to know: what did you get in the mail?
2: Uh, I, died. I, I think it's a problem with heat. It's very cold here in New York City, and the heat's out, and so uh, that's the
0: problem. <laughs> Steam heat? Steam heat. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, that is so unpredictable. I had that same problem just a little while ago. So you write about interplays. I want to make sure that people understand this whole idea of interplays. But you point out that... Medium design, it's not a thing It has no content It is only an ever-present approach to many things An expanded means to generate change Outside of some dominant cultural habits After taking a hard pass on utopian proclamations and master plans Some of what remains are extra-political And aesthetic capacities and spaces of interplay The latency, interdeterminacy, entanglement Heavy information, failure, temperament And discrepancy that the modern mind abhors is modern design then or medium design about confronting the public with what it abhors and intentionally ignores and how difficult is that process?
2: I I recognize that it's, it's a little funny to ask people to shift from nouns to verbs. You know, we're really good at nouns, Um, but to think about how to design and interplay, how to design an orchestration of things. Um, and I think that that is the kind of form that may be incredibly useful as we are uh, confronting um inequality and and climate cataclysm. Um, it, for one thing, it may involve ways to Unwind or reverse engineer some of the forms that have been abusive. For instance, sprawl. Um, thinking, of what, thinking of ways to um, uh, reverse engineer or roll back something like the sprawl that's encroaching on sensitive areas that are at risk of wildfire or or um, or flooding. Um, it may be a way of um, taking things off off of a financial ledger and putting them in, onto a spatial ledger where the risks and rewards are, are more tangible. Um, so I give many examples in the book, um, sort of working between this somewhat altered habit of mind and then tons of concrete examples, very simple examples that are, but I hope are part of everyone's world.
0: And you point out that everyone is a designer, but the most practical things you know, even most of what you know about how to design is not usually treated as authoritative knowledge. Medium design relies on common sense or cultural muscle memory. The everyday practicalities of managing your environment with know-how, but the smart modern mind that needs to be right is often dumb to this knowledge. Strangely, what pool players, cyclists, clowns, dogs, chemists, cooks, and parents know does not scale up to influence approaches to the world's most difficult dilemmas. How does this not scaling up of the everyday practicalities of managing your environment with, no, with know-how reveal itself to you? Where do you see this know-how not scaling up?
2: Yeah, good, good question. Yeah, I uh, um, it makes me a little crazy that um, you know we we all think we we should be familiar with I don't know digital or digital languages or econometrics, but sometimes there's very little authority given to this kind of practical knowledge of of um, the bricoleur, the, the person who knows how to put things together, the plumber, the the, the sort of characters you mentioned, the, the cook, the pool player, the urbanist. Um, uh, and at the beginning of the book, I try to give examples of this special faculty um, that everyone has. Uh, everyone has it when they look in the fridge and figure out what to make for dinner. I. Um, without a recipe um but juggling the chemistry of expiration dates and and the desires of people they're cooking for and so on um parents uh who are with two squabbling children don't try to uh litigate the argument with lexical expressions they they change the chemistry of the room they change the temperature, they introduce a pet into the arms of a child, they introduce blood sugar into the other one. They work on the the disposition or the sort of uh, underlying activities of the room uh, in order to change its temperament, to keep it from, uh, to, to dull the chances of violence within it. Um, So I think we all know how to do this, this working with potentials uh, in a very practical way, Um, but it often remains unexpressed um, in part because, you know, again, we want the quantitative proof. We want the right answer. And this is uh, not about right answers. The argument in the book is that in this kind of flip side on the the other side of that trapdoor, being right is a really weak idea. You know, it's, um, it doesn't work. It doesn't work against people like Trump for sure, but it doesn't work against a lot of political superbugs, if you will. Um, it's better to be able to um, be a plumber with the, with the resourceful uh, a resourceful plumber with the, the, the things in hand often, uh, What's being recombined in this book are problems themselves um, that are considered to have value. So not the elimination of problems, but the interplay between them is valuable. Um, the interplay itself is valuable.
0: And let's talk about that interplay for a second because you use this analogy of people playing pool, of pool players and how a pool game uh, you know, pans out. And we are broadcasting right now from our studio, and our studio is above a pool table in a bar. So I think a lot of the people who listen to this show and uh, play pool downstairs be very interested in this analogy. How is interplay analogous to playing pool? Because I think that's a really great analogy that you offer.
2: Well, good pool player, you know, um, you can't have the right answer to playing pool, just like you can't have the right answer to being funny. Uh, being funny and playing pool, telling a joke is is a, is an interaction with you and other people and the ways that the balls are are hitting each other. It doesn't do you any good to try to have the right answer to playing pool. It's only good being able to you can't you can't know that. You can only know how. You can't know what the right answer is. You can only know how to respond to the next time when it's your turn. You can only know how to respond to a branching set of connections and and add more information to the table. Um, I mean no no coincidence. That's also how that's also why hustlers are so uh, successful is because they take the very thing you gave them and and turn it. You know, they don't they don't have a, a fixed
0: script exactly and if you do have a fixed script then you're Found out to be a hustler, you have to have a constantly changing script. And you write that while the design profession is usually regarded to be a handmaiden to the market, medium design does not always have to wait on a client with a sufficient accumulation of capital. Capital is not the only force of the license to index the world. Design can begin now with multiple varied experiments to trade these heavy values and temperaments, proximities, relationships, properties, potentials, and risks that are in relation to urban neighborhoods, flood zones, transportation networks regional territories and patterns of migration how can there be design or anything for that matter that is not waiting on capital isn't it dependent on capital just like everything else is it's
2: it's a good question and uh what i'm trying to say is that and this is you know looking at having studied many situations take rust belt cities and so on or places where that have been underwater, both financially and and literally, or places that are on fire because of of climate. Um, And there are abject failures within that, huge problems. And one way to look at that uh, is to say, well, you know, sometimes the, the municipal leader says, you know, this just isn't this isn't going to work financially. Um, and it's at, at that point where I started to get excited. I started to think, okay, and then, then you can roll up your sleeves and start to work. What what gets really interesting in those situations that look like abject failure is that often things that, that were um, mortgaged real estate products that were trafficked in different ways uh, because of their... Um, financial abstractions or bundled in subprimes or whatever, suddenly they go back to being a house, you know, where this is made of wood and made of dirt and it's in a place next to another house. And and suddenly it's that physical value which one can start to work with, Uh, making new relationships, making banks of land rather than banks of financial abstractions. So the book looks a lot at at those problems at those failures um, and considers it quite lucky when things have fallen off the financial ledger and trying to see if there's ways to convert it into other ledgers of value um, that have to do with spatial relationships that have to do with um, what jk gibson graham and others would call community economies Uh, economies that have to do with, you know, relationships between people, proximities, um, spatial values.
0: You also write that the modern world is one in which emergent ideas must be labeled radical or post. It is a world in which developers of digital technologies long for the algorithm or Turing complete code that readable across many machines approaches the universal It is a world that would take seriously Francis Fukuyama's comical claims about the end of history, claims that he's now stepping back from over the last few days. Homo economicus and Westphalian sovereignty are darlings of most histories, and even science fiction stories often assume the shape of a mothballed tragedy with heroes and struggles. And all these narratives mimicking religion or war, cultural change can only occur through combat or collapse And the fight should build to a revolution or an apocalyptic burnout. These are the hackneyed plot lines of the humanities. Do we believe the only alternative to our system is it being overthrown by another yet unknown but potentially better system or complete system collapse? What happens when we have this idea that the only possible outcomes are apocalypse or improvement?
2: And isn't isn't this still a hangover of the, of the modern enlightenment mind that's you know replacing God as you were saying, or that sees things in this kind of Manichaean struggle, or the modern mind that always has to replace everything for the new, um, so in some kind of cycle of obsolescence and replacement? Um, so this is trying to break from those habits of mind to say that there can be coexist, not not just successive ideas, but coexistent ideas. Um, and that it's not the new that is redemptive somehow we even we even use these these words <laughs> that are uh, associated with kind of monotheism. Um, uh, it's not the new that's redemptive. Um, it's the interplay between the emergent and the incumbent that is most sophisticated. So I try to give an example in the book, um, a concrete example of, of the way in which we now think, well, automated technology will save us all. Um, and we've done that in the United States over and over again. Uh, rail would be replaced by um, by automobiles and so on. Um, now it's automated technologies will replace um, transit and cars. But in in this medium design view, it's not the new technology that is sophisticated. It's the way in which the automated vehicles work with incumbent technology. So for instance, if you are, um, if you use an automated vehicle or if everyone uses automated vehicles in lieu of transit uh, it will create unprecedented congestion imagine um, every seat on a, on a transit car is now the size of an entire car um, so it's a would create a super sophisticated super smart vehicle in a very dumb traffic jam so I try to sort of unwind a picture where what's more sophisticated is the interplay between um, automated vehicles and transit that deliver ridership to each other, that consolidate itineraries, that e- that even, you know, reduce sprawl by by their. Cooperative working together—that there's a kind of mutually beneficial thing—and and that's the that's the habit of mind that this book is trying to foster bit by bit, um, uh, example by example.
0: So does this medium design then depend more upon our our social relations for a better life than technological improvements? Right. This is a, this is a replacement of the material with the social something. You know, that is commodifiable being replaced with something that is not. Is that a challenge? How much is that a challenge to the status quo when we think of our – put the focus on our social relations rather than technological improvements or anything that's a an material improvement?
2: Well, I think it's social relationships um, but also um, physical, spatial relationships. Um, I'm an urbanist, you know, so I, I kind of, I think maybe you know, am accustomed to thinking this way, um, but I, but I say in the book that urbanists are sort of like canines, you know, because your dog would would never just rely on. You know she she knows the words good girl but she's not just going to rely on a lexical expression she's going to look at how close you are to the door or the dog bowl or whether you have a leash in your hand or even whether you're in a good mood um and so it's a, there's a thousand other cues and relationships and proximities and uh is this above if this higher than this, is this on high ground? Is this on low ground? What is it cold or hot? You know, there's many things that are potentials to work with in urban space. Um, If I have a street that uh, uh, has a water Uh, infrastructure on it that provides water. If I can see the house across from me, there's there's many different things that are that create values um, that are not financial, that might not be even always social. But usually, yes, I think you're right, there's a social component to how one's using them in space.
0: You write that under the sway of these habits, culture then continues banging away with the same blunt tools that resist innovation. Shorelines flood due to global warming, diseases take hold, a financial crisis makes properties worth less than nothing, or a migration of refugees swells in number. If economic and military templates of causation provide no explanation, if new technologies provide no solution, or if the consensus surrounding laws, standards, or master plans provide no relief— Little sense can be made of the problem. Does a, a lack of solutions to society's problems right now reveal that we do not understand what the problems really are? It, it, and is that purposeful? Do we actively work to not know the real problems, the problems to which our solutions never work?
2: It, it could be. It could be. I, I'm i arguing that the way we if, if I were to say the word innovation, you know, the, what people think of is the new app, the new technology, uh, the new quantitative proof, something like that. Um, so it is maybe unusual to be calling on something like a protocol of interplay to be a solution, uh, Not to, sorry, excuse me, to be an innovation Um But, you know, in a sense, we're living in this now, like we are living with a COVID protocol that is not a solution. It's a a shift of relationships, of behaviors. It has lumpy things in it and masks and big six foot distances, but also vaccines and things that go from the scale of microns to the scale of territories It's essential that we understand that interplay of activity in order to survive. And I'm I'm, I'm hoping that, um, you know, given COVID and given the events of the summer to do with racial justice, that it's ever more clear to people, um, to designers of any discipline, that. Space is consequential That it's a source of Violence, a source of injustice um, But also uh, Potentially A a source of of Innovation and survival
0: And you're right It is even easier to see what the Political superbugs are actually Doing to survive They use obfuscations and contagious Rumors to create immunities They appear to be brandishing ideologies When they are really conflating them or flip-flopping between them. Their lies, distractions, and confusions even seem to turn lexical expressions into physical force fields. One lie activates the rational restoration of truth, but the presence of many lies and distractions, too many to reconcile, begins to build up a Teflon coating on which rationality slips and slides. So is this all due to an attempt to maintain a brand of being the flag-bearer of a certain ideology, no matter how much... Your actions do not align with that ideology. Is ideology, in in this set of circumstances, has ideology become nothing but a brand? And what happens when ideology becomes a brand?
2: Well, I, I know this is, I think it's hard for us to kind of turn the sound down on ideology and see what people are actually doing or decouple what people are saying or what organizations are saying from what they're doing. But the, this book is trying to exercise that faculty. It's not unlike the, the sort of canine situation I was describing a minute ago, that you're not just listening to what people are saying, you're seeing what they are doing. Um, and one of the things that is kind of different on the through that trapdoor I was talking about a minute ago is that, maybe one can see not just a political spectrum from left to right, but a political spectrum of temperament, um, degrees of violence that are in um, uh, the positions that we take. Um, And that's not to to move away from important left-right distinctions, but to think in addition to that, about the violence um, that might be present in a in a political position so you know for someone like trump who i've called a kind of super bug um and it's really easy to manipulate the world if the world is only paying attention to what you're saying um or the world is only labeling you in terms of, you know, a left-right spectrum. That means it's super easy for him to confound everyone by conflating the left and the right, uh, by confusing and scrambling those ideologies as as he did, uh, so that he can get at his real target, which is disposition, or mm-hmm. which is that temperament. It's very easy for him to remain in control was and remain in control if he can get everyone into a fight then you know it's in the palm of your hand uh and really you know it's very hard to uh, look looking at trump or looking at any number of other political superbugs uh, um, that are mentioned in the book it's it's um there's not, there's no sort of political, uh, you know, party consistency. What, what you really see is pure temperament, uh, and the lying and so on, even makes uh, lexical expression, meaning statement declaration, uh, even more uh, evaporative, if you will.
0: And the point is divisiveness. Now, President Biden has made calls for unity to which the right has reacted as if Biden was being sarcastic. And from their point of view, his actions are not living up to any ideology of unification. To what extent are political lines of demarcation being drawn with one side on the side of divisiveness to attain power and the other side believing unity is the way to political success? Is our system designed to have only two possibilities, unification around one idea or violence around another?
2: well i i hope that um that just looking at the at, you know i think that, that looking at political positions on more than one spectrum you know, not just on um on party as important as that that might be in terms of certain principles but also looking at it in terms of political temperament may be hugely important it's it's hugely important to our um, approach of the right to um, working to ease financial precarity and suffering over the over the whole of the country, irrespective of of political party. It's also hugely important um, when to the effectiveness of our activist positions, um, knowing. Uh, like like the, the the brilliant activists in Hong Kong who 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 they know when to harden. They say you know they harden like ice, or are they or are they sometimes they're water, um, you know, they, or sometimes they're mist, or they sometimes they gather like dew. You know you you sort of have to know what the what what temperament will make it possible to bridge, to dull some of these binaries um, that uh, Trump and others uh, so easily weaponize and sharpen.
0: And you were talking about how revolutionary manifestos can potentially reinforce the very status quo they are trying to overthrow. And that in a way, this medium design is kind of a If if you don't mind me describing it this way uh, A kind of a covert design of subversion without recognition You write rather than autonomy and freedom Medium design looks for anonymity and entanglement Entanglement reinforces checks and balances And it also allows change to travel, multiply and gain scale These forms of interplay may be as fast as the runaway development They work to reverse engineer. Is Medium Design's pursuit of anonymity, of not having a written manifesto, are are those obstacles considering today's very much selfie culture and individual self-marketing and branding on social media?
2: Well, yeah, maybe that's uh, – I hadn't really thought of it so much in terms of of – Selfie and social media, but but you're absolutely right that um, this is not this does not have the the hubris of the um, modern enlightenment mind. I have the right answer. I stand with my sword, you know, over my head on the one and only mountain. You know, this kind of this kind of thinking, um, but the pleasure, the seduction of entanglement of, um, of interplay between things. Um, it's kind of a baby human mind that wants to be right. We are ourselves uh, a watery bag of iterative processes and trial and error um, processes. And um, the w- ways in which most people get along, Um, are in that range of cultural muscle memory, practical ways of uh, getting on, mixtures of different sorts with no uh, elementary particle, things played out in in time, um, not about having uh, the right answer. And this, this book is also trying to say, you know, we to wait for the pure revolution, to wait for the moment when it's all perfect is incredibly violent Uh, uh, when things are so urgent. um, And it's it's important to pick up, it's not a submission, but it's important to pick up what's there and try to work resourcefully with it.
0: Well, let's talk about that just for a couple of seconds. I know we're going over a little bit, but you mentioned an interplay that considers climate change and migration together as the prompt for transnational forms of exchange and cooperation that bypass the ideological and diplomatic deadlocks over global warming. How can an interplay bypass the ideological and diplomatic deadlocks over global warming?
2: Well, I was referring to a project that I had in a kind of experimental project that was looking at how to ease some of the violence of global migration, either to do with labor or climate or conflict, um, by looking at a platform for the trading of needs, um, using needs as a kind of currency. Um, uh, and and it, it does seem to me that, that even our problems, our, our problems, uh, our, climate failures, uh, can bring people together, can, can, people can index their needs and work with each other on those heavy values, um, that, uh, you know, are, are, are obviously much more consequential than the abstractions of homo economicus, um, or even the, the, kind of hypocritical sovereignty of any nation. Um, so it is a bold hope, I, I recognize, but I think one that's going to be more and more uh, in our faces, in our hands, uh, that, that we will be working with physical consequences uh, that are of, of climate change.
0: One last question for you, Keller. We have been speaking with architect, writer, and the Edith Storm-Dwyer Professor of Architecture at Yale. Keller Easterling, author of Medium Design, Knowing How to Work on the World. Keller was on our show nearly six years ago to the day back in February of 2015 to discuss her then-just-published book, Extra Statecraft, The Power of Infrastructure Space. If you search on Keller's name at our website, thisishell.com, you can hear that interview right now. You can find out more about Keller at her website, KellerEasterling.com One last question for you, Keller And I don't know if you remember or not But our final question is always The question from hell The question we hate to ask You might hate to answer or our audience is going to hate your response you talk about how our focus is either on the need to be right this need to have a solution or it's on it's to define and challenge our enemies to figure have this binary thinking of you know who is good and who is bad and and how to react and how to respond to an enemy and it just kept making me think about how the news media often reports whatever the new challenge is uh, the the way we should respond to it is on a war footing. We have to treat this like war. if not approaching the pandemic as a war, how would medium design react to the virus?
2: Well, I think it's it's uh, i I would argue that that while we have um Obviously, targeted the, this ever-changing virus as something that we would like to uh, um, we would like to overcome in some way. I think we that that we are when we are following a, a COVID this COVID protocol, we are doing meet what I think of as medium design. Um, we are cooperating. We're working with mixtures of different sorts of value with no elementary particle. We're looking at the protocol itself with all of its uh, different sorts of variables uh, spatial, dimensional, um, stuff that's the vapors coming out of our mouths. Yes, vaccines, but not only vaccines and magic bullets, but uh, behaviors. adjustments, relationships, uh, mutual aid. Uh, many different things we're doing now are um, tempered uh, with lots of different approaches and it's that that kind of interplay which which is medium design. and I don't think it is uh, just a raw binary like a war and that's you know the point.
0: Keller, I cannot thank you enough. More importantly, speaking of vapor coming out of our mouths, has your heat been fixed?
2: I think that that there are there are men outside who are are, are working on this problem, even as we speak.
0: <laughs> well, have a warm rest- a much warmer rest of your week and Keller, I got to tell you, extra statecraft was such an enjoyable book to read because it really made me think about stuff i've never considered before and that's when you're on the show back in february 2015 it really was one of my favorite books to be featured in that year and this thank is you. so enlightening this your new book medium design knowing how to work on the world is just spectacular and you can count on the fact that as long as this show is on we will be annoying you every so often to have you back on our show
2: it would be my pleasure thank you so much for having me
0: all right take care color Money is the root of all evil, and capitalism is all about money, so you do the math. This is hell. This week's question from hell is, well, Jess, what is this week's question from hell, for God's sake?
1: This week's question from hell is, what are you awake thinking about at 3 o'clock in the damn
0: morning? The worst thing about this question is, I wake up at 3 o'clock in the damn morning now because (laughs) I'm thinking of this stupid question.
1: (laughs) Shane M. says... Why do they call it ballroom dancing when the pants are so tight? Jesus <laughs> Um Caveats, um, how is this season of Bosch going to top the last one? Okay. <laughs> Pete, <laughs> Pete V, your mom. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Um, uh, <laughs> David Z says, my furnace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you up at three in the morning thinking, <laughs> thinking about? Um, laddie O, overhead Pringles dispensers. All right. S- Sloane L, cheese, nothing but cheese. <laughs> Laura E, why am I so tired? <laughs> Meredith A, that was a dream. It was only a dream, wasn't it? Maybe I should check my outside camera. Oh crap! There was an alert 15 minutes ago. What the? Oh, just a cat checking the porch out. Better get up and check the whole house anyway.
0: Jesus Christ That's why I don't get An outdoor camera yeah. My outdoor camera Would just be like It would be a porn movie I have had people Have sex on my property So often I, I mean maybe that's why I should get a camera Actually
1: What are you, what are you awake Thinking about At three o'clock In the damn morning um, G, Death Nice be- Benjamin C Why Greedo shot first Zach N What the F Is my cat doing right now And why And last... Maria B. Why am I thinking too much at 3am?
0: <laughs> exactly We will have more of your answers to this week's question from hell on tomorrow's show and again we will be announcing the winner at the end of Thursday's show following Jeff Dorchin in the moment of truth. Of course you can always become a regular supporter of This Is Hell becoming by becoming a subscriber to our Patreon podcast which happens every Friday live at 10am Chicago time and is posted shortly after the same place each week on Patreon. Not only do you get a new monologue from me behind the scenes info about the show and an archived interview that you cannot currently find anywhere else online, but you also get a discount on all of our merchandise that you can find at thisishell.com. When you click on support, thanks to John and thanks to Jonathan for being our newest subscribers on Patreon. Thanks John and Jonathan. Jess, who is on tomorrow's Wednesday's live one-hour show at 10 a.m. Chicago time right here at thisishell.com and podcast shortly after.
1: Tomorrow on Wednesday's show we have Elizabeth Cat on our new book, Pure America, Eugenics and the Making of Modern Virginia from Belt Publishing.
0: <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a happy book? So glad that you, the United States is the home of eugenics, which Hitler picked up on. And if you don't think there's white supremacy from the get-go of this country... <laughs> You gotta be freaking kidding We'll also have more of your answers to this week's question Hell, And we are still looking for volunteer board operators Who can show up regularly One, two, three or more times a month Or even every week like Jess and Richard do And Daphne does when she's still here in the States But unfortunately she is away for a couple more weeks uh, but we're looking for people to be board operators Here on our 10 a.m. daily Shows here at our studio above Carrie's Lounge 2251 West Devon in Chicago All you, If you're interested in being a or- board operator All you have to do is just email me at chuck and we're also looking for Volunteers who can do some Remote work which we will be describing In depth soon Alex is Working on the entire plan of the stuff that we Need to have done but you know a lot Of the stuff uh, it's a little bit Difficult with social distancing and needing to wear masks in order to train people So we're kind of dragging Our feet on this as we wait Like everybody else does for Us to get all vaccinated and shot up In fact we got an email from Agon Scheele Who's a long deceased German artist Killed by the 1918 Pandemic It's really weird that he had access to Email Aegon writes Hey Chuck, Ben, hearing you ask for assistance With this is hell on the knobs and faders I wanted to throw my Name in the hat. I've got some experience with sound running a DIY space for way too many years, as well as hosting my own podcast, Text of the Matter. Find it at patreon.com slash text of the matter. I can commit to a regular shift or whatever you need. I'm great with correspondences and scheduling for guests if that's more helpful. Keep up the good work, Aegon Scheel. Aegon, you keep up the great work. I know you have not been as artistically prolific, since your death back in 1918 But the work you created prior to your death Was absolutely spectacular And if you can bring that kind of creative Artistic energy That you displayed before you died To our show We will be all the better for it I'm your bitter, blind, broke, Gaptooth radio show Podcast live stream host Chuck Mertz Producing today's show is Jess Lipka Thanks to Jess for producing Thanks to our guest Keller Easterling Thanks to Alex Jerry for booking today's guest